everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. My co-host Kathy King and I want to welcome you to Writing Works Wonders. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder of writing. We are so glad you're here with us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. So Kathy, how are you today? It's great to be here. Today we're going to be discussing breaking into or advancing your success with the submission process. You might be submitting for publication or contests. We hope to cover them all. Today we want to cover a variety of areas regarding writers breaking the barrier of publishing and submissions. So writing what you know is one of the strategies for becoming a very effective writer, but that can mean a variety of things to different people. Writing what you know is very important for beginners and experienced, but what does writing what you know mean to you? I'm an experienced writer. I've been writing for many years in the academic field about certain areas. I try to put things into practice. And I know how to do that in part by working with the field a great deal and from the theory side. Cheryl, what about you? What does writing what you know mean to you? Well, what comes to mind, Kathy, is that came from the Pekingese that I was watching for someone and my friend's grandchildren let her out and she ran underneath the pool fence. And then all of a sudden there was a story. I said, oh, we got a dog and a horse. They're going to become superheroes. They're going to save her from the people who are going <laughs> to kidnap her and blah, 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 blah. And a, and a story was born. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I think we have a few hands up. Chanel? It's Amy. I think that um, for me, writing what I know means that I get to do research. So I really enjoy that part of writing because I get to learn and you don't necessarily need to, in my opinion, write what you already know, but know what you're going to write. So research your topic and make sure that you get it correct when you are writing it down. The worst thing is writing about something that you have no clue of and you just take a, a shot in the dark. I believe incompetent on your part if you don't research uh, what you're writing. I think, Amy, I think your comment was very good because, mm-hmm. especially for beginning writers, they'll have confidence in what they know and if they're writing from the heart. So that is very helpful. I think you hit another very important point. Two zero Area code 201. Hi, this is Lisa. Um, I just think that's really uh, profound to say write what you know, because when you do that, you're writing from your heart. And it translates to the reader. It becomes authentic. And it's like, oh, they can relate to you better, I think, if we're, if we're writing from what we know. Because it becomes relatable to just to me. That's my perception. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Carol in Maine. But I love words. And what I have found in my writing, I write some poetry. I write a few other things, is prompts. I need prompts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just reading an article and picking a word out. And I love um, the sound of worms, words and rhymes, and sometimes it's nonsense. But prompts are what I need top for topics. Thanks. Carol, before you go, would you share about how you've written with your grandson as prompt? Yeah, and I think that would help yeah. people too. Yeah, uh, one of my um, I have grandsons, grandchildren, but they're all over the country. And one of my grand, my grandsons during COVID and what we started to do, I, I sent him a poem via email 
very brief, nothing, no big deal, and said, you know, at the end of the poem, it said, could you do this too? And he, his mother was, was didn't help him with the poem, but was in, involved, so she made it happen. He sent back a poem, and then I sent him a word. We, we exchanged words. What did you want? Right? I wanted you to write a poem about whatever one one of them was about dirt something about sugar you know the topics were and we also often would reject the the word that one of us had given the other but back and forth and i have put it together in a book that i've got to get printed get some publishing of it not for other people but just to exchange to send it out to the family but the wonder was that we did it daily i would send him one and then like almost the next day he would send one back and believe me his work was he's 11 so this wasn't a big deal but he was writing and i was writing and i was writing silly things like and the the using words and and rhyming so it was really fun and a way to engage yeah Yep. Thanks You're for welcome. sharing that with everybody. Thank sure you. Sure enough. Today, our featured guest is Deanna Quietwater Noriega. We are so grateful to have our friend here with us today. Deanna is half Apache and a quarter Chippewa. She lost her eyesight at the age of eight due to congenital glaucoma. She has been writing since childhood and won her first contest being published in a, her first book in the fourth grade. Today, her most recent publication is called 50 Years of Walking with Friends, which chronicles her story of working with nine guide dogs through her poetry and her prose. We are so grateful to have you here with us, Deanna, to talk with us about why writing what you know is so important to writers at every stage, whether they're they're beginners or experienced. So tell us, Deanna, how does writing what you know work for you? Why is it important? (laughs) What happens with me is... I've got a weird kind of brain that stores all kinds of little bits of things. And sometimes I will just sit down and write out like a paragraph and I file those in what I call musings. It's just my sort of scrap file. And sometimes I can go back in there when I don't, I don't have a deadline. I don't have anything I'm I'm building for. And I've opened one up and it'll tell me that it wants to be a poem or a story. (laughs) And I go with it. I've been telling stories since I was quite small. I was the oldest of five children. And my mother had to work sometimes two and three jobs when I was little. Part of my job was to keep my little brothers out of trouble while my mother had to rush out the door and an uncle or my grandmother or whomever was going to be responsible for us for the evening hadn't arrived yet. You know, sometimes those things happen. And as the oldest child, I was expected to keep them busy and out of trouble. And if we had a a list of chores that needed to be done to get them motivated to do that. So one of the things I used to do was tell them stories. And when I lost my vision at eight and a half, I started learning Braille. And so that opened a whole new avenue because I could read stories out of Braille books under the covers to my brothers because we often (laughs) shared a room. And my mother would if she was home, would kiss us goodnight, turn off the light, and she'd go and crash because she was exhausted. So I could read things, and uh, as soon as I had my Braille skills up, I could write things, 
and I would make up all sorts of crazy um, stories and just let my imagination wander. So it's always been part of my life that I have a very vivid imagination and the silliest thing can turn into a story or a poem or whatever. Right now, I'm working on a second book, which is mostly based on having a single mom and two younger brothers, which was the three of us that were closest in age. And the time when she went back to the area of the reservation when she was divorcing my father, and we were kind of just this little four of us, my mother, my brothers, and I, and with some contact with with my Native American relatives, but a lot of times we were on our own. So it's based on incidents and events that happened throughout my childhood. And I'm still trying to figure out how to close it, but I started out with the first story and it actually went to our first anthology, Behind Our Eyes, first anthology that the Writer's Party Line put out. And it was based on a Christmas when we weren't expecting a lot, but we got some surprises and some things happened. And that story turned into Christmas pickles because one of my grandfathers gave me a gallon jar of pickles because he said I was too darn sweet and I needed something to balance it out. Besides, (laughs) he knew I liked sour things. And, you know, that same grandfather Also, in the box of things that he gave me for a wedding gift was a couple of sets of sheets. And when I was taking them out of the box to pack them into my luggage to go back to California, where I was in college, underneath there were 12 rolls of Regal Crown Sour Candy. Um, (laughs) You know, because Grandpa still thought I was too sweet for my own good. So that was the very first story about these children where Lisa, the oldest child, is getting ready for Christmas and it's Christmas Eve and her brothers are in bed and she's waiting for her mother to come home from work and she's going to make Ovaltine for mom because she knows she'll be hot and tired or well, she'll be cold and tired and will need something warm to drink before she goes to bed. And then the grandfather comes in and gives the little girl a, a jar of pickles and he you know, makes it kind of a conspiracy and says, well, grandma will have some things for you tomorrow, but this is just between us. And and don't tell her that I got this for cutting wood for Mariah Big Elk, who makes the best pickles on the res. He says, but don't tell your grandma. She'll be offended. (laughs) That's great. So that's great. A lot of family stories, you build on where you are. And yeah, and that can turn into something. My first writing that got published was an essay on the presidency in the fourth grade. I was in the fourth grade and we had to write this essay and our teacher sent them all into some sort of event, you know, for Mm -hmm. local schools. And I won a $10 check and a print book on one of the presidents. That's where it all started, winning an essay contest in the fourth grade. That's terrific. Great examples. Thank you. So inspiring, Deanna. I think we might still have a few hands raised. Let's take Olivia Ostergaard. This is my first time to this uh, webinar. I published, uh, self-published a book about 2014, Mm -hmm. and 
it's really frust- it's been frustrating for me because my story is about my 10-year journey getting my now retired guide dog Fenway and all the struggles I went through and I wove it together with my faith walk and I feel like I'm stuck and it's been seven years and I've done so many things to try to get the book out there and it's just been very very frustrating I've been in contact with an outfit called online book club I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but uh, pretty soon here, I'm going to be submitting the book to them. And they've got over 2 million subscribers, they say. So they say. My problem is, is I've got an idea for other stuff, but I just haven't put it down. And I don't know. It's very frustrating because as a blind writer, they're thinking, well, write what you know. Okay, well, we've been legally blind all our lives. And how boring is that? So any (laughs) comments? Libby, what you were saying about you have ideas, but you just don't start. I think Mm -hmm. what Deanna mentioned was very helpful. She just takes those little ideas and puts them in a folder. I've heard her mention this before, musing, Mm -hmm. and then periodically goes back through and something jumps out to her that she's ready to write on that. So maybe a first step is just not thinking that you have to write the whole essay or book now. But just jot down those ideas, put it inside a notebook or in your notes app on your phone, whatever way is helpful for you. And then you can go back when you're ready to write and say, which one is going to be my game today? So first steps are really important in these processes. One of the things I hear from blind writers is how do I describe things because I have never seen them. For me, I did see when I was little, but my world experience was pretty small because I could see well enough to learn to read when I was three. But by the time I was five, everything was getting blurred. And my mother made a practice of reading to us at bedtime if she was able. She always made sure that we had books. So even when I was going to public school and they weren't teaching me large print and they were debating about what I should be learning back and forth in the first grade because I was undergoing one eye surgery after another, three between the time I was five and eight, you know, each one required different lengths of time under bandaging and so forth. One of the things that happened for me was having that vivid imagination and being able to picture whole stories in my head. And sometimes it would come out of a dream. One of the stories I wrote and got published in Dialogue magazine was called Overload. And my husband and I had recently sold up some family jewelry and stuff and were trying to open our first business together. He was still teaching, but I had been a stay-at-home mom for seven years. And I thought, well, let's do a turnkey operation that is a restaurant because food management is certainly something I've learned at my mother's knee as the oldest of five children, how to stretch that dollar and and make nutritious, healthy food that, that actually tastes good. So we picked a franchise and we raised the money. I figured with the franchise, we'd have all the business plans and all of the detail down. So I was trying to figure out what kind of computer I should get so that I could do inventory and ordering and stuff like that as part of what I would do in the business. And I had this wacky dream about going to a meeting and to listen to a techie talk about what was available in computers. And it turned into a short story in which I had this (laughs) young woman, you know, in her business suit, trying to look professional, trying to look like a grown up. And she's sitting there in this meeting and she is blind. She's listening. So she hears people 
flipping terms back and forth about bits and bytes and RAM and stuff that she hasn't got a clue about. And there's a, a guy with cigar smell to him who seems to be kind of lording it over the others and talking about all of this stuff. And there's a woman that wears a perfume that's too heavy. And she hears someone enter the room because she's sitting in the back row, but they seem to be pushing something. And she's wondering, well, maybe the presenters arrived and he's got something to demonstrate. And she tracks him as he moves up to the front of the room, pushing this wheel thing. And then she thinks he's emptying the waste paper basket. And so she calls out, excuse me, can you tell me when the presentation will begin? And the man turns around. She can hear him move and his voice gets louder as he turns to face her. And he says, oh, geez, I guess you guys couldn't read the sign on the door. Your guy didn't catch his plane. There was a delay and he missed a connection. So he's not going to be here, but I guess he was coming to talk about computers and stuff. And if you want my opinion, I think you ought to get the sharp with the built-in microwave and with a turntable. And that was the, the, the uh, result of my crazy um, <laughs> mentality, thinking about restaurants, equipment and computers and having a dream about a guy not showing up. And of course, <laughs> the punchline was just how my flaky mind works. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you, Deanna. Cheryl, you want to take the next question? Yes. Hi, everyone. This is Rebecca from California. Nice to see everybody again. Hi, Deanna. I know you from a couple of other groups. But anyhow, I just wanted to tell you congratulations on the new book that you're writing. And please let us know when it comes out because I would love to read it. Excellent. People want to know, where do they find contests? And how do they find out about the submission guidelines? And perhaps you can work that in with your submission to guidepost. I like to answer calls okay. for submissions because right. they're actually looking for something. And if I think okay. I've got something that would work, I pull it out of my writing file, polish it and mm -hmm. send it off. So this was okay. a contest and the grand prize was to go to a writer's workshop for inspirational writers. And so I thought about an incident that had happened at my latest um, trip to the Seeing Eye to get a new guide dog, where on the first Sunday you have your dog, you can go to church, but you have to leave your dog at the school because you haven't worked with it long enough to be trusted out of the building without your instructor <laughs> along with right, you. Right. But not wanting to leave my brand new dog, I went to a gathering in one of the lounges of like-minded people who wanted to sing some hymns and just talk and bring their dogs because, you know, we were still in the building so we could do that. And one of the gentlemen there was an older man from Maine and he'd been a lobsterman and he was probably in his late 60s and he said that he had been a man of faith all of his life. And he prayed for healing, but he had macular degeneration and it just wasn't going to happen. And he'd had to sell his lobster boat and his traps and everything and was really at a loss for what he should be doing. He said it wasn't that he'd lost his faith, but he didn't understand why faith wasn't enough to get him healing. And I said, but Phil, you have been. It's just not the healing you were looking for. You're getting on with your life. You're here getting a guide dog. So now you just have to listen for where God wants you to go with that guide dog because he, mm -hmm. he doesn't need another lobsterman. He's got some other job for you. 
And I told them how I had had a, a religious experience there at eight and a half, about a week after I came home from the hospital totally blind, when I was talking to God and telling him how he denied the world a prima ballerina who was also a veterinarian. And <laughs> because, of course, when you're eight years old, you think you can That's do just right. anything. You can do both. Absolutely. Yes. So suddenly the room came into perfect clarity, much clearer than it had been for years. I could see the white curtains. I could see the sunlight pouring into the window and it didn't hurt my eyes. I could see the pattern of roses on the on the flooring in my room. And I jumped up and ran through the house to find my mother to tell her I could see. And I never saw her face. I saw her back and her long black hair. She was sitting at the dining room table sewing a dress for me. When I reached the dining room door, I said, Mommy, I can see. And she turned and it all went away again. And what I took from that as a little girl was that God said, I hear you. I know you're upset and I know you're worried, but I'm still here. And if I wanted you to see, you'd see. But I've got other work for you. So, Deanna, was this, this, this the story, was my story you submitted? Yes. Okay, so how did you mm -hmm. find out about the contest, Deanna? I yeah, think I saw it in the Guidepost magazine itself. So reading oh, okay. magazines mm -hmm. and things that are related to the kind of writing you like to do, that's a good place to, to hear about things. But you gave a really good suggestion there, Deanna is that the material that you usually read, if read periodicals, you become familiar with the style they're publishing. When they have a call for submissions or a contest, that would be a great place to try to put your work because you understand what they're looking for. And Deanna, another important thing, people think as a writer that we only write stories, short stories, or books. But many of us start with very small pieces because I know in my own experience, even though I was a professional, I was at one time a doc student. I mean, that's part of the life. And I knew I had to publish or as they say, publish or perish. And it felt like a huge barrier to overcome. And I hit on the idea of contacting some journals and asking them if they needed any books reviewed. So my first publications were book reviews. And there are many publications out there that just do book reviews. Another strategy from that, I built to submitting to conferences to present because that's how we do it in academia. We submit a paper and then we present that at a conference. Those grew up to be articles, which are like 20 to 40 pages. It depends on the forum. And then those grew into books eventually. So you can look at it as a series of steps. You don't have to think about jumping the huge hurdle until you've come over the smaller ones, because it's becoming familiar with the publishing process and the fact that you have to interact with editors. They give you feedback on your work. How do you handle that, et cetera, et cetera. All of these are very viable, submitting book reviews, essays, short stories, poems, even blogging as a way. And I know many of our participants do that. Blogging is a way of regularly practicing your writing skills and communicating to an audience, getting feedback on that. And then those can build to larger pieces as well. So these are all important strategies to help us break that submission barrier, as it were, if you want to think of it that way, and moving up the rank. Regarding contests, that's a whole different area as well, right, Diana? I tend not to, to, I kind of avoid the groups that like anthology people that want you to pay a fee to be in their Absolutely. anthology. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. You have to be careful what you get involved in. But if Good it's point. a con 
test that's been around for a while, it's a little bit more legitimate. I tend to look for places where they will either pay me or they'll at least give me a free copy of the magazine or something rather than asking me to pay them to publish my work. Very, very good point. And we do have a very good resource at Poets and Writers. Mm -hmm. It's um, an online database, online Mm -hmm. resource, and it's Mm -hmm. freely available. And through that, you can set different parameters or filters based on the type of work that you're submitting. Maybe it'd be fiction, maybe it'd be short story, maybe it'd be memoir, whatever it is that you want to submit. And this is a great feature of it. You can say, how great a fee are you willing to pay a submission fee? Because judges are usually paid for evaluating all of this work. And you can set it from $0 submission fee to $20 submission fee. And so that excludes all of those people that are asking for large amounts of money from your searches, and you can focus on those that you're interested in. Another aspect for both types of submission, whether it's for publication or for a contest, is the importance of criteria and the guidelines. Your National Library Service for the Visually Impaired, they Mm -hmm. do have librarians there, and they are trained to do reference hunting if you need it. You can get a lot of information from them. When I was first trying to figure out how to publish my 50 years of walking with friends, I contacted my local library and I said, do you have suggestions for publishers? Because it's kind of a specific thing. Nine guide dogs, my life from that summer between high school and college all the way through. I'm a retired senior citizen now, but I've worked nine dogs and they've been with me through lots of changes, lots of different things in life. And I have this book and it's about the relationship between one blind person and nine dogs and what they taught me and what happened in my life at that particular time when I was working that particular dog. And I am a poet and a writer. So some of it's essay, some of it's personal memoir, and some of it's poetry. So I need to figure out where this would fit. And my local librarian said, okay, here's an idea. That is a very good um, idea. I hadn't thought of that, of Mm -hmm. accessing your library resource people. I know we have a few hands up. All right, next we have Greg. Greg Wansneeder. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you? So my question is, how buddy buddy do you want to be with your publisher? What kind of communication? What's over communication with your publisher? Just general questions. I don't know about the writing and publishing. I think one of the things right up front makes a big difference if you're doing independent publishing and working with somebody that is working with you that way to publish your book. So you're self-publishing and they're working with you through the process. An entirely different relationship is when you have a contract with a publisher, they've accepted your manuscript, and then you really don't talk to the publisher that much. You talk to a dedicated editor who has been assigned to you. I didn't realize that there were two different types of publishing. So thank you for that. There's actually three. There's formatting it and putting it up for sale as self-publishing, doing all the formatting yourself, which those in our visually impaired community find difficult. Then there's, and we do have some episodes on that. It's called Kindle Direct Publishing. 
then there that's one option. And then there's working with a publisher that you're self-publishing, but they help you through the entire process. It's independent publishing, we call that. Diana and uh, can talk to that. I've worked with publishers where I have a contract and have a signed editor. And that's much more of a professional, them getting to know you and you understanding how much you can push back and forth. And in some cases, I have even torn up contracts because they wanted to change everything in my book. But in my field, you don't get an advance. So they, I can tear up a contract. It's not like in the world of fiction where you might get a substantial advance. Like Patrick Taylor talked about too. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's a very different sort of situation. Thank you very much for giving us the time you were able to today. You're a wonderful addition to our field, to our community, and to our community here at Writing Works Wonders. Thank you so much, Deanna. Um, Be sure to visit our website for complete show notes. You'll also find our past episodes, which we call the archive, and abundant author resources. We also have some bonus content there. What's the website? It's www.writingworkswonders.com. We don't want you to miss a single episode, so you can subscribe at the site also. And you just go up onto the top menu and click subscribe by email, and we'll send you a weekly notice with the Zoom link in it. And to contact Cheryl and Kathy with recommendations, ideas for topics, or guests, you can reach us at writingworkspodcast at gmail.com. Above all else, we want to thank you for being with us, and we want you to be encouraged and inspired as you enjoy the wonder of writing. for joining us today at Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. Now tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. We also have a donate button and that's to help with the expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this show and podcast going. There's a link there that you can tap on that will take you directly to our website at www.writingworkswonders.com. There you will find all the information we talked about today along with show notes and so much more. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired to know the wonder of writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.